following is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. In this study, entitled Minds and Hearts, we're looking at how theology works the mind, but it also molds our hearts, meaning that what we believe is important and is good for us to know, but it also changes how we live. We hope you enjoy. All right, if you can open up to page 724. We're going to be reading from the book of Ezekiel tonight. 724. We'll be in Ezekiel 36, verse 22 to 27. If you all can turn there. Are you sure you spell it with five R's? Yes, I'm 100% sure. Irresistible. Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started. Rob, will you open us up in prayer? Absolutely. Uh, Father, thank you for giving us this time together. Closer to you, thanks for just giving us this thing that we can do where we can come together and read the Bible and talk and uh, listen to a teacher teach us. Amen. Okay. Can I get a brave volunteer to read 22 to 27 for me? I can. Awesome. Jack, thank you. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, thank you. So, Jack, what is the Lord promising to do in this passage? Um, vindicate the holiness of okay. the name. And, and how is he going to do that? He specifically says he's going to do something for the people. He's going to give them something. Okay, he's going to give them a special. He's, he's going to give them a heart of flesh and replace what? The heart of stone. Okay, so he's promising to do a work in them in order that they might be able to follow and trust in him. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is irresistible grace. When God starts a work in us, we have no choice but to respond to that. That does not mean that we, we cannot say, well, I don't want to hear this person preaching, I don't want to listen to this teacher. That doesn't mean that we can't resist it in that way. But what it does mean is when the Lord starts a work in someone's heart, there's no stopping it. What he plans for that person to happen in the heart of that person is going to happen. So that's what we mean by irresistible grace. And I think a, a good illustration of that is the call of Matthew. If you read the call of Matthew in the Gospels, in Matthew 9, 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax booth and said to him, Follow me. And then Matthew did what? He rose and followed him. Okay? Jesus had just returned from doing some work outside the city. He approaches Matthew at this tax booth. The fact that Matthew was sitting in a tax booth is just a, like a, a complete picture of total depravity because tax collectors were known 
to be very harsh people. They uh, were told to go collect taxes, but they often collected more than they should. And they sent their money to Rome, and they kept all the extra stuff that they exacted from people. So Matthew was not a very good person. He was, he was known for being a tax collector, and that's not a good thing. But all it took for Matthew to follow Jesus was what? Was the Spirit to call him, to call him to himself. And Matthew stood up and followed him. So our question for tonight is, does God's salvation depend on God's grace or the sinner's free will? Does God's salvation depend on God's grace or on the free will of a sinner? And we're going to look, we're going to look back at this Ezekiel passage here in just a minute. But let's start off by looking at just a couple things that I think are very important when we think about grace. The first one is that grace is absolutely necessary. And the second is that grace is powerful and effective for us. So let's talk about the necessity of grace. So the gospel invitation is for who? When, when the gospel is presented in scripture, on Sunday mornings here, on the streets, in other countries. When the gospel message goes out, who hears it? Everyone. Everyone, okay? Sinners and believers alike. Okay, It's for anyone who, who would hear the message. It's for, for us to be, be something that we go and tell people about. We're supposed to go and, and spread the gospel. It promises salvation to those who repent and believe. And this calling is, again, for both the elect and the non-elect. But the, the outward call will not bring sinners to a saving faith in Jesus. And why is that? We've talked about this before. Why, why wouldn't the outward call save people? Because it's the promise of salvation. It's a good thing. Okay? Because you can't just do the acts. You have to do them. Okay, we'll come back to that. Total depravity. depravity, okay? Because we are so far removed from perfection. We have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We would in no way, shape, or form make that choice on our own because we are totally depraved. We are dead in our nature to sin, and we're under its power. We're, unwilling and unwi- we're unable and unwilling to submit to Jesus in that way, unless he works in us first. So no matter the threats of eternal damnation or the promises of eternal life, we wouldn't respond to that unless the Spirit does the work in us. To submit to Christ is completely contrary to our nature unless he does the work first. So because of that, grace has to be necessary. Grace has to be so important to us because we would have no ability to make that choice on our own. So let's turn back to our Ezekiel passage. In verse 22, Jack, will you read that again? Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Okay. What is the purpose for which God is doing what he's about to do here, Jack? For whose sake? For his holy name, okay? It's for his purposes, to bring himself glory, okay? If if we had the ability to get salvation for ourselves, who would get the glory? Us. We would, in a sense. Now, God would still get the glory, but we, we would have reason to boast. But he's saying, for my for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So he's speaking to a people that have completely deserted 
him. He's speaking to a people that have completely just left him. They're not following him. They want nothing to do with him. And if you look in, in chapter 37, that's the dry bones passage, the, the valley of dry bones. God has to physically raise bones up that are dead in order to praise him. So it's a picture of depravity. It's a picture of total depravity. God's grace must happen in order for a sinner's heart to be made new. If you look in verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, if you notice that the heart of stone is removed first and then is replaced with a heart of flesh. A stone can do nothing. If a heart was made of stone, it cannot beat. It cannot produce life. It cannot have blood run through it. Okay? A heart of flesh is a, is a gift that's given to us. And a new life that, that uh, is the result of, of his work being done in us. So imagine you get this heart transplant, okay? And your doctor looks at you and says, we well, got a new heart for you, but we want to keep the old one in there. Okay, we want to run everything through that heart. Okay, so all the blood will run through it. It'll still function in a way. Is that going to be good for you? Why? It's still bad, and that would probably never happen because it's a silly illustration. But in order for a new heart to function the way it should, the old has to be completely done away with. And the only way that that can happen is if the Lord extends his grace to us and works in our heart that we can even begin to think about responding to him. Okay? That's what we mean by irresistible. Like he, he shows us an absolutely beautiful thing. And says, I'm not going to give you any choice but to follow me. And that's, that's the extension that we have when he gives us his grace. He says, I will put my spirit in you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So his spirit is given to those he does work in. And did you notice the, the order of that? Okay. He didn't say, uh, you're going to walk in my statutes. You're going to be careful to obey all my rules. And then I will give you my spirit. No, he gives us the Spirit, and then we're able to. So when, when God gives us his grace, he renews us. He transforms us. He regenerates us and gives us faith to believe. So grace is absolutely necessary. So let's talk about what we mean by this word irresistible. Let's talk about its power and how it works powerfully in us. Okay? It has the power to accomplish everything that God has purposed for it. Sometimes people, when they're arguing against irresistible grace, they, they point to passages that say, oh, well, well, people were resisting God. Therefore, his grace can't be irresistible. An example, Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your father did so. There's a couple other ones we could read. And we would not disagree that people can resist Jesus. People can <coughs> resist the gospel call. But what we mean by irresistible is it's irresistible in the sense that when God does that work, nothing you can do will stop it. Nothing that anyone can do will stop it because his will is all-powerful. His will is good. And God's grace is uh, only resistible in the sense that people can verbally deny it. But when the, the Lord is doing a work in someone's heart, what is he doing? He's removing heart of stone and he's putting in a heart of flesh one that's able to believe one that's able to look at what's in front of them and say this is good and i want to pursue it okay when god works in the heart of someone to transform them he, he regenerates them it can't be stopped uh, god doesn't like y'all ever seen like the the cartoons with 
somebody holding a stick and there's a carrot on the end of it and they're dangling in front of somebody and then they're, the, the person chases it and they just keep walking with it. So it's, it's not like a, a carrot dangling in front of us, okay? Uh, he doesn't put it out in front of us and hope that we accept it and, and it's good. No, he, he gives us that carrot, okay? He shows us that it's good. He tells us why we need it. And that is such an amazing thing. He, he doesn't mess around when it comes to this kind of thing, okay? Now, this, this could sound like people are saved against their will. You know, it could sound like people are, are brought into heaven kicking and screaming, okay? God does the work even though they may not want it to be done in their lives. But is that a good argument? That's kind of silly if you think about it. Because God gives them the exact thing that they need. So why would they go into heaven kicking and screaming if they know it's good and know it's good for them? Man's will is corrupt and must be made new. Instead of being controlled by sin, when God works in our hearts, when he extends that irresistible grace to us, he puts us under his headship and puts us under his control. And we're able to bring him glory, which is the purpose for which you and I are here on this earth. No one goes into heaven kicking and screaming because they know and understand the alternative. They know what would be coming for them if they didn't trust in Jesus. God gave Ezekiel a message of whose work? His work, not man's work. And this message that God would renew his people, a people that again have completely abandoned him and are living lives that are not glorifying God and are not pursuing God. Now let's turn to Isaiah 55:11 real quick. It's on page 616. If I can get somebody to read that for me. 5511. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just 11? Yeah, just, just verse 11. Okay. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I said it. Okay, so what this passage is telling us, Lexi, and you can, let's interact on this. When God puts his words out there, when he's doing a work, according to what you just read, what happens? It's guaranteed to do what? Yeah, to accomplish, to, to, to do the exact thing for which he purposed it. So if, if my goal is to throw this pen and hit Micah, I've just accomplished what I've been trying to do, okay? The pen fulfilled the purpose for which I purposed it, okay? A silly example, and I'm sorry for throwing a pen at you. But uh, the point is, when, when God does that work, when he extends his word into someone's heart to transform them, because his word is good and true and powerful, it can't do anything but be successful, in someone's heart. It's not like God's word enters into someone's heart and it just sits around there for a while and if, if nothing happens, then it just leaves and moves on to the next person. No. When God does that work in somebody, it does what it sets out to do. He does a good work in you. When he gives you a heart of flesh, after taking away your, your heart of stone, he opens your eyes. The scales, in a sense, fall from our eyes and we're able to see. And he makes it totally clear that we can't just punt that away. Okay, We can't just say, I'll pass. Not for me. Okay? If we do that, then, then the Lord's really not working in our hearts because we can't look at something so good and say, eh, I'll take what's worse. Okay? Who here looks at you know, a pile of nails and looks at a, you know, a, a nice pumpkin pie and says, I'll take that pile of nails, please? 
Yeah. Jay, that's not very appetizing. It's bad for you today. Anyways, the point is, the point is, God reveals to us that that's a pile of nails and it's not good for us. And He's showing us His goodness in Jesus. And He's saying, follow me and trust in me. And I'm going to help you do that because you can't do it on your own. He gives us an affection that we can't say no to. He gives us an affection that we cannot say no to. And to quote a movie, he, he gives us an offer that we can't refuse. Okay? He, he extends something to us that we cannot resist in any way. So we, what, what we have affection towards is what we pursue. Okay? When you are so infatuated by something, you spend a lot of time doing it. When you love a certain sport, you're going to practice a lot because you love it. Okay. When there's a cute girl or guy in class and you really like them, you're going to try and get their attention. Or maybe maybe you don't try and get their attention. Ah, I got no girls in my class. Okay. <laughs> the point is the point is when we're infatuated by something, when something catches our gaze and we think it's good, we're going to spend as much time as we can pursuing that thing. Whether it's a sport, whether it's a person, whether it's a job, in the best possible case, Jesus. When, when the Lord transforms our hearts, he sets our eyes on him. And yes, we have times where we don't pursue him the way that we should. But he opens our eyes that we may see that he is good and that we may pursue him. He gives us his grace in order that we may live unto him and die unto our sin. And that's what we mean by irresistible grace. And that's why it's hugely important for us to think about this. That when he does the work... It's going to happen. And that should be an assurance to you, in a way. It should be very assuring to you in your walk with Jesus. That he's done something so good for you. And he's not just giving you a choice. He's saying, I love you. I want you. Take up your cross and follow me. Amen? Amen. Alright. Let me pray for us. Break up into small groups. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for each individual in this room and how you work in their hearts, Lord. We thank you that you've replaced hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, and that's such a beautiful thing. So, Lord, we do pray that as we discuss what this means for us, the practical implications of this, Lord, that you would allow us to to dig a little bit deeper and and to to see uh, this doctrine is more and more beautiful because you are beautiful, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. And keep an eye out for new audio upcoming from WYM.